Blog Talk Radio. Alexa Williams series of suspense novels, Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, Dead of Spring, and the newest, uh, just out in uh, the end of February, Dead of Winter. Um, All are set in south-central Pennsylvania, which is where we're taping from. Hi, I'm J.M. West. I write the Carlisle Crime Cases, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, Had a Dying Fall, and the newest one is titled Things Strangled. They feature homicide detective deal. <laughs> My the newest one, Things Strangled, will be released later this year. Well, today on the Milford House Mysteries, um, Joan and I are going to do something that we do uh, periodically, which is a, a podcast uh, episode on an aspect of writing, um, specifically writing suspense. And today we're going to talk about the subject, how clothes make the man or woman, well, how they make the characters. Um, You know, we're going to talk a little bit about what clothes tell us about people, um, and it's more than we realize at first glance. Um, There's really a lot that clothes can tell you. Uh, An example uh, you know, a basic example um, are uniforms. Uh, you know, if somebody's wearing desert or woodland green camouflage, um, there's a police uniforms of all sorts, uh, firemen uniforms, uh, there's doctors, uh, nurses wear white or scrubs. Actually, these days they wear all sorts of colors of scrubs. Um, and, and they tell us that you know somebody served in the armed for, is serving in the armed forces, somebody's in law enforcement, or they're in an emergency occupation. And we also have learned to recognize fashion fads. The Roaring Twenties saw women in the drop waist dresses dancing, you know, the Charleston. And I remember as a child the Great Generation mainly in uniforms or khaki or, or blue collar. Uh, clothing. Um, and many boomers as college students wore the tie-dye tees, long hair, the skirts and flowers in their hair, and the bands tied around their heads. And of course, the city, uh, the United States, our American city, most notably uh, for its fashions in New York City, sets its own styles. Most notably, the chic Chanel black dress that that um, Coco Chanel designed and it was popular then and that Jackie Kennedy Onassis repopularized. It seems that this goth style now may be on decline. Characters, though, you know, however zany, bizarre, mysterious, or criminal, they are people in our novels. And what they wear is not just extraneous detail, but it gives us clues to their behavior, their personalities, even our culture. 
their level of economic status, and many other things besides. Yeah, a good example of that um, is sort of, you know, how clothes can signal um, economic status um, is the TV show that uh, many of you may have watched, Downton Abbey. Uh, you know, you could easily tell by what folks wore whether they were part, and it's a show for those who didn't watch it about Victorian-era aristocrats in England. Um, the upstairs folks, the the rich family, um, wore clothes that were very different uh, than the downstairs folks who wore partly uniforms but also um, a rougher clothes, I guess we would talk we would say. Um, in suspense novels, uh, one of the key type of characters are famous detectives. Um, and, you know, you, there are some signature styles that um, often make you think detective. Um, Sherlock Holmes, um, you know, the, the Basil Rathbone uh, characters in the, the old movies, he wore a deerstalker's deer cap, a cape, and smoked a meerschaum bowl pipe, um, you know, as he gave his pithy and keen observations. Uh, but his sidekick, the dapper Dr. Watson, wore the more conventional Victorian suit and, and vest. Um, there's also, if you, you know, thinking of a different type of detective um, that are made famous by movies and uh, the old noir novels are guys like, Sam Spade, who, you know, the tough guys, the tough detectives who went around in their uh, slouch hats uh, and, and talked tough. And that reminds me of Columbo. <laughs> in my novels, <laughs> the detectives wear <laughs> informal attire. The men typically wear a casual sport coat over a dress shirt, sometimes with a tie, sometimes not. Women wear the slacks, plain blouses, and jackets, and they wear the shield badges on their belt. I'd also note that the FBI is more conservative dress style, and many of you have seen them on criminal lines depicted. Uh, their style suggests a more buttoned-up, follow-the-book rules type of person. So, well, what does that reveal about detectives? Well, they are individualistic, perhaps, you know, a comfortable sense of self. Often, Detective Erin McCoy wears green to accent her auburn hair. And she's one of, one her, of uh, her partners, right? Erin McCoy. Yeah, she's one of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, dying for vengeance when we first meet her. And uh, her partner, Zachary Fields, wears more colorful shirts than the older, more experienced detectives, Dr. Detective Snow and Savage, would never wear. You know, and much depends on the colors a person chooses, too. Bright, bold, primary colors tend to indicate to me an outgoing person seeking attention, while someone who wears monochromatic, muted colors, to me, just the opposite, someone who's trying to, you know, fade into the background. And then people wearing a style, mixed styles and textures, like straps and checks together, suggest those willing to experiment with style or, or follow trends. Now, my, quote, investigator is um, a young lawyer, Alexa Williams, and one of the ways that I've used um, clothing in um, my series 
is uh, to sort of convey the personal transition that she's going through. Uh, she was, a, a, for many years, was a, a New York City lawyer um, and now has moved to small town Carlisle, Pennsylvania, to practice law there. Uh, and in each book, as the series goes on, you know, she's adjusting to that change and, and her clothes are part of the reflection of that. You know, she's her she's got a closet full of Armani suits and uh Christian Louboutin I can't say it, Louboutin heels. Um but in uh in Carlisle she's finding that uh, that stuff doesn't really track that well in the the rural Carlisle courthouse. Uh, she wears suede skirts and leather boots and designer knockoffs. Um, but now um, she still wears her suits, perhaps while she's practicing law. But she's finding that she wears more pantsuits and she's more often in hiking gear and jeans. Uh, by the third book, um, she's really clinging to some of her designer clothes still. But she's pretty much gotten rid of all the the shoes with the high heels. But the other thing about the the change in um, Alexa's dress style, it, it's not just the clothes uh, themselves. She's changing as a person too. And you know, within the broad arc of that transition, um, I, I like to think that I'm using dress as a vehicle to to convey her emotion or personality at different points in the story. So that's another way that uh, authors can use uh, dress to convey character. Uh, for example, if um, Alexa frets about being underdressed at a party that can also show that she's uncomfortable with the situation that she's gotten herself in. So it's, it's more than just the clothes. Um, she also never feels quite as fashionable as her chic mother who can wear a white shirt and jeans from Walmart um, and look fantastic. And that provides a little bit of relation, uh, relationship information about how she and her mom interact. Well, we look at the other side of the character spectrum, so to speak. We could look at the victims, uh, who, of course, could be from you know all levels of social strata. We recognize extremes, you know, like the homeless with their worn layers and ragged appearance, gloves without fingers, pushing a cart that depicts their rough life on the urban streets. These people, despite perhaps hard work and circumstances, mental disability, or alcohol, or drug addiction, bad luck or other hardship, find themselves in a tough situation. Authors like Michael Connolly, Karen Slaughter, and Thomas Perry all use clothes to make a point that these victims are especially vulnerable, easy prey for criminals. Perry, Thomas, especially has his heroine, Jane Whitefield, spend a lot of time and money on changing a person's looks to hide them in plain sight from dangerous predators. And of course, victims can come from um, any walk of life, I guess in real life as well as in books. Uh, but as authors, we can use dress as a way to help signal, um, you know, why a particular uh, well-off person, um, for instance, could be targeted. 
you know, think of the guy, uh, the stereotypes, the guy who is a little bit obnoxious, ostentatiously flashes his Rolex all the time, uh, or the mousy young woman at a party whose dress is just a bit unfashionable. She doesn't really blend in. Often, you know, they're the ones who are going to get killed in the next chapter. Uh, or dress can signal victimhood in other ways. Um, in Dead of Winter, um, I spend uh, quite a bit of time describing an Arabic family that are characters in the book. Um, because the difference in the way they dress, the mother's hajib, the father's, the uncle's kufi cap, they become symbols of their otherness in small town rural PA. And unfortunately, that elicits a knee-jerk reaction of fear or hatred from some of the other characters in the book that they meet. But, too, style of dress can convey many other aspects of character. In Darkness at First Light, I researched 18th century clothing to know how Revolutionary War reenactors dressed in order to portray Molly Pitcher the generals, and the others who fought in the Battle of Lumoth correctly. The doctor in the, uh, in the wheelchair and his family were well-to-do, as their surroundings and their brand-name clothes suggest. And the teens, with their ripped jeans, grunge, and alternative um, bands you know, on their T-shirts, uh, like Nine Inch Nails and New Kids on the Block, or even, I, I'm dating myself here, or even the you know, more heavy metal decorating their tees, Tells us a lot about their need to fit in, <laughs> um, especially yeah. at the high school level, because I, you know, had some teens, you know, in that particular book. At the same time, their disdain for authority. Uh, however, after an assault or in case of addiction, a female will likely wear turtlenecks and long sleeves tops to cover the telltale drug or self-inflicted scars. Um, boots. You know, that's pretty typical, too. Um, to say nothing lately, I'd say the last decade or so, of, of turning lingerie into regular clothing. And that leads us next to the clothes of criminals. What a broad yeah, subject, Yeah, well, that's huh? a big subject. Um, you know, we've mm-hmm. talked a little bit about our, some of the regular characters that you find in suspense, the the detective, the, the victims, uh, and the villains, uh, to mind. You know, when you think of villains, uh, I think we're all conditioned to think of black clothes. You know, the gunslinger in the Western uh, always wears black. Uh, the Well, the bad guy gunslinger does. Uh, Cruella de Vil uh, in 101 Dalmatians, you know, she wears uh, black. Uh, and, well... <laughs> And, you know, there's a little bit of white. but uh, And Darth Vader, you know. So we're conditioned at an early age to think that, uh, you know, our cartoon and uh, movie villains wear black. Uh, however, in suspense novels and other types of literature, the villain is often, uh, more often their reveal as the villain um, can even be emphasized by changes in their dress, their style, and personality. Um, you know, in my books, as many other suspense authors, the villains usually dress in a much more uh, ordinary fashion. 
Um, and, and that's perhaps because one of my consistent themes is, um, in my first book, um, I included a quote by W.H. Auden that says, evil is unspectacular and always human and shares our bed and eats at our own table. So often criminals blend in with the rest of society, even though they could be covering up a disfigurement, a disability, or a psychological issue from childhood, maybe abuse, maybe personal trauma. Um, and, And sometimes, you know, there are subtle hints that might barely register with the reader that an author um, puts into the the novel until the villain is revealed. Uh, And then the reader can reflect and and say, oh, yeah, that guy was always messing with his shirt cuffs, or that black-brimmed hat that he wore was a little creepy. Um, You know, so that could give you a hint about uh, my villains, uh, but... You'll just have to read the books to find out what all of my villains wear. Well, you know, up to this point, we haven't mentioned the supervillains, the superheroes. (laughs) But one of the most distinctive criminals imprinted in my mind is Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker in the Batman series. That scarred, demented grin and painted face and that halting gait all reveal a person who falls so far from the normal spectrum that he's memorable. I mean, that is feared in my mind. Uh, another outstanding criminal is Hannibal Lecter, you know, whose mask and straitjacket signify yeah, just how dangerous he was. But just as, all, just as often, the killers do not stand out. In my novels, I do not know who the killer is either at the beginning. My point is that we can all be criminals. We've all broken some rules. In Courting Doubt and Darkness, as in many mysteries, the villain is knitted into our fabric of society, and he's you know, accepted as such and functions well enough to pass for every man. So one of the things that we probably should um, you know, mention is that um, part of the way that authors are uh, able to to, to make clothes um, work so much in terms of defining a character is because um, we all bring preconceived notions with us. Um, and that counts for people who are reading books as well. So um, authors can take advantage of readers' preconceptions um, on these more fleshed-out characters, um, but also can create shortcuts to characters who aren't quite as prominent in the book. Uh, so those pre- preconceptions can help paint a picture quickly. Um, uh, my example would be um, Alexa in my books has two best friends. One's artistic, and she wears hippie-type clothes. Um, the other has more money, more conser- is more conservative, and dresses uh, in uh, Lululemon yoga outfits and ta- uh, out of the Talbot catalog. Uh, in both cases, these characters of character style of dress reinforces what I want the reader to think about them. You know, there's no value judgment in any of the way that these characters dress, but it does. 
I think because of readers' preconceptions, uh, give you a little bit of information about the type of person that they are. Uh, you know, and that's important uh, when you don't have a lot of space to describe more minor characters in detail, um, especially the ones who maybe aren't essential to the plot, but um, you still don't want uh, your walk-on characters to come across as two-dimensional uh, people. Uh, you know, you don't want them to be cardboard cutouts. Uh, so that's where the style of dress can speak volumes and can help telegraph a message to the reader quickly. Um, you know, I remember in one book I, I talked about an old couple, and I described him as wearing suspenders and a flannel shirt, and she had on a pink sweatshirt with puppies and Mamie Eisenhower bangs. So, you know, hopefully that conveys a quick snapshot of who those folks are. Um, another way um, is I had a, a character who dies, unfortunately, early in the novel, but uh, she's a passionate advocate for um, a cause. Uh, she was a former nun, and um, even after she'd left uh, her convent, she dressed almost like a nun, very plain, but when she dies, they find a Chanel party dress that she'd owned as a girl. And that helps give a little bit of an insight um, into who she was as a, as a, you know, a young person. Um, you know, there's also, um, I can read you a passage from uh, my book, Dead of Summer, where Alexa gets a, a glimpse of an interaction between a guy that she's already suspicious of and a young girl, and here's the, the, the what she wears and the way he treats her, you know, it gives you a, a quick snapshot. I'll read you the passage. When the purple-haired girl shook her head at something Tyrell said, he seized her by both shoulders. The teenager began sobbing and slid down the wall until she sat on the floor, her tight skirt sliding up to her hips. She looked like a broken doll purple-haired hooker Barbie. Yeah, and that's funny because I always looked at that Barbie, you know, the Barbie doll, and, and thought the same thing. <laughs> of course, you know, the pre our own preconceived notions depend on the reader's point of view. And then I am so surprised as a writer of the different readers' reactions. You know, for, for example, one person might read that a guy in clean and he's clean cut and he's wearing a business suit that he's the fine upstanding citizen. Maybe he's a good guy. Another person could read that same description and think, oh, another rich uptight dude. Or another could think, oh, he's a conformist bowing down to the man. So what the character's wearing can't be the only method of describing the person. It's just one tool in, in the toolbox that the writer has. Well, to sum up, Dress or style alone can't describe the character, but it, it can help. Both with key characters that the book contains or develops more fully, and those would be the major characters, and also those with bit players who are there and gone in a flash. Keep in mind, though, authors don't want you, the reader, to think about this as you're reading. Wearing, weaving style into a story should be so subtle that you don't realize that the role that the character and the, and the character's clothes play a part in shaping the plot. 
tell you, I think we could go on and on about characters and style of dress for a while, but um, we're almost out of time. I, I would say that, um, as an aside, uh, Barbie, the makers of Barbie dolls in recent years have made great strides in making Barbies yes. <laughs> more um, diverse uh, and more diverse. Um, a little bit uh, less stereotypical of, um, you know, the perfect woman of the 1950s. So, uh, you know, even that uh, that analogy may not work uh, in the future uh, because people will think of different Barbies when they think of Barbies, which goes back to what um, Joan just said about, you know, preconceived notions. If the author relies on that, you have to make sure that um, – well, you can't make sure, I guess that's the point, that the person who's reading is going to have the same preconceived notion as the um, author does and uh, what we intend. But uh, it it's certainly is one of the tools that um, that we regularly use. So I think we've run out of time today, um, but thanks for Hello. listening to us. And speaking of books, a reminder to all you readers and our listeners that our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, and other online retailers and bookstores. And any bookseller can order it for you. And a special thanks to all of you for listening to the Milford House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed our program. We'll be back on www.blogtalkradio.com on Thursday, April 4th, to interview author April Knight, who's the author who wrote Nobody Dies in Kansas. That's an interesting title. And she also wrote nearly a thousand articles and short stories and and contributes to the successful Chicken Soup series. So we're looking forward to our next author to interview. In the meantime, uh, you can follow us on social media. I'm on the web at www.sherrynolton.com, plus I'm on Facebook. I have an author page. And I'm on facebook.com backslash Carlisle Crime Cases by J.M. West, and I have a new website, carlislecrimecases.com. Until next time. Yes, thanks for listening. We'll see you and then. And goodbye. Oh. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> yeah.